Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome. Seriously? I know I had mic issues last week. Is that the case again? Welcome. Good morning. All right, there we go. Somebody's awake. Well, it's officially summer. It has been for a few weeks now. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, particularly, you probably recognize uh, by the weather that it is confirmed it is summer. It's been hot. It's been humid. Um, keep thinking you're going to have a storm come through, and there have been a few here and there, but for the most part, those fronts just uh, seem to build, and then uh, they build some more, and that's kind of been where we've been at. If you work outside at all, or perhaps you're a child and you like to play outside, or maybe you're an adult with a child's personality, you like to play outside as well, you know that fairly quickly uh, you can get hot and you can need something to satisfy that thirst that you have. And uh, so today I got a a few slides, a few pictures to kind of uh, reveal a a little bit of an evolution, but also some different sides to what it means to find that satisfaction through uh, the one thing that we want the most when we're outside and it's hot out. So the first one is this. This is where we all start. Uh, Perhaps you've been there before. This is for watering the lawn or maybe jumping through. Uh, For for the youngest, it is one uh, you can take a sip, get a drink, Um, while you're out and you're hot. And then you graduate from that as you grow. The next one looks like this. Probably most of us have at some point grabbed a hose, maybe not, um, and gotten a drink that way. can be one of the most refreshing things. And, you know, sometimes you drink it and you put a little on your head too. It's uh, it's a great way to cool off on a hot summer uh, humid day. And then uh, maybe if your family would, would do this, or maybe you would go on your own, you would go to the public pool and this would be a place to get a drink, right? No, wrong. Okay, good, good. Make sure you know this. We're going to have a pool party tonight. Don't go with an appetite. Actually, we will have some pizza, but don't go uh, getting ready to drink out of the pools. Just a public service announcement. So you go to the pool, you cool off. You know, the biggest reason you don't want to drink out of the pools is because people before you might be horsing around. we got a picture of that as well. And then, yeah, these are the jokes. This is it, folks. So you move on from there, and perhaps you're an outdoorsy person. You, you, you like to hike or get around, and you maybe have one of these. This is a hydrator pack. This is a water bladder that goes in a backpack, and so you have the straw, so you can have this uh, continued tap line to, to water, to satisfy you, to refresh you. Or maybe you don't want to carry it around, and so you are one of those daring people who uses one of these. Uh, this is a purifying straw, which I've used one before in a river like that. Never have I used it in like the puddle that has the sheen on the top. I don't trust it for that. But in any event, uh, you might use this. Or maybe you're kind of just the, the regular person who uh, uses a bottle, right? And I know these are necessarily the greatest thing for the environment, but they do the job. Um, but the big thing, uh, last yesterday I was out working. Me and the boys were doing a project in the yard. And it did rain a little bit, but it was hot. And I drank two bottles of this, but the thing that satisfied me most, I went inside and I got back to basics. And perhaps you've been there before. This is the last one, just a glass of water, right? This is a, a glass, right? I, I look at this image and I am, I am reminded of the way that this refreshes. I see it and I can look at it and I don't see any impurities or any dirt or any soot or anything in the water. Instead, it's just a glass of pure water. And it tastes like it too. And as we look specifically today 
at this transition we're making from how to live towards self, we recognize that there is an outward impact of our actions, but those come from within. They come from the values that we have. They come as a result of the things that we believe, things that we subscribe to. And in all of that, we look specifically at the core. In fact, in God's call and where he calls us to go and what he calls us to do, today we discuss the call that God has for us to live and to be pure. Just like this water, just like this glass, God calls us to be pure of all the things of life, of the things that cause us to be, uh, to be dirty, the things that cause us to, to, to be distracted or to lose sight of who God is and what he calls us to. This week we look specifically as it refers to a call to live pure within the family. And that family is not just at home, that's also in the family of God. And if we're to define purity today, we look at it as a freedom from contamination, a freedom from impurity, from especially from and specifically spiritually speaking from sexual immorality. See, purity is important because purity is from God. God is pure and he calls us to be pure. And the more we grow in our relationship and our understanding of him, the more we grow closer to him, the more pure we become. In fact, it is a process, a process that God not only comes alongside us in, but he calls us to. A pure life characterizes for the believers as one that is absent from sin. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to be perfect, although that is our desire, but it recognizes that God's righteousness brings forth a purity in us when we come to him. And the more we know him, the more we grow in him, the more we come to him, the less we want our own selfish desires. And therefore, our bend, our heart, our desire, everything that we do is directed towards serving and loving God in a pure way. God's purity has cleansed us from our sins. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has cleansed you of your sins. Amen? You are not the same creation that you were. You are new in Christ. And from that, we strive to live like him and become more like him. Yesterday, or excuse me, last week, we discussed identity and we discussed sexual immorality. And in that, we recognize that Paul was writing specifically to the church in Corinth and saying, look, there are some issues in your church you need to see these issues. You need to rectify them. You need to go to God and allow him to transform and to change you. We read their mail and we recognized there were universal principles for us. Today we're going to read the mail of, of the first church or the first letter that, that uh, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And when he's writing to the, this specific church, he recognizes that they have specific issues, that they're walking through a season of discouragement and despair. And in this specific letter, what he's doing is he's addressing to these individuals the needs that they have, a heart of purity. And I can tell you today, we're going to read their mail, but there will be, without a doubt, universal principles that God wants for us to experience and to respond to. Can I tell you today that the Bible in and of itself was written specifically years and years ago. It was inspired by God, but it is not specifically for the individuals that read it then, but it is for all people. It is a gift for you and for me, just like it was for those that received this letter 2,000 years ago. What's more, we see specifically in the historical background that Paul, he planted the church in Thessalonica. 
He loved this church. He planted it. He started it. But he had to leave abruptly, as is stated in Acts chapter 17. And so when he left this church, he left these full new converts, which many of them were converts from paganism, right? They had many gods. They, they, they did self-sacrifice. They did all these different things that were, that were self-pleasing. And so Paul is directing them to live a total different life, a 180 life from where they were before. But because he left, he recognized what happens. And often this happens when someone is there that encourages you, that brings you along. When they leave or when they're not in the picture, sometimes Satan tempts and therefore we are swayed into another way of life or back to the way that we used to live. And so here Paul recognizes that this church is being swayed back to the way that they used to live in their pagan lifestyle. Because they had little external support, Paul had left them. He's writing this letter with the purpose of doing several things. One, to encourage them. Because you know and I know that when you live in sin or when, you, when, we, when we give in to temptation, there's a great discouragement that goes along with that. Why did I do that? What, how could I do this once again? Or the discouragement that Satan has as he attempts to try to press upon you his own will, his own way. He's also bringing forth an opportunity to instruct them concerning godly living. Here is how you live. This is what it looks like to live a life that, that honors God and that honors each other. He's urging them not to neglect the, the daily work that goes along with living a life that honors God. And then finally, he's assuring them of the, of the concerns that they have and to embrace this deeper level of purity. Because Paul recognizes, probably like many of us do, that purity is at the root. It's at the core of action. And so the actions he's correcting them on or that he states are things that they should not do or other actions that they should do are a result of the value system that they have adopted. And so because they live a certain way, it is an indicator or a consequence of what they believe, a lack of purity that's in their life. And so we're going to read through chapter four, a big portion of chapter four from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And I'm going to, as we go, I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to look specifically at how they apply. And as we do so, I want us to recognize one thing. There are outward actions, living to please God. But ultimately, they all go back to the heart, the direction of the heart. Starting in verse 1, chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And right here in this small address in the beginning of this chapter, we see Paul doing something very important. He's referring back to previous words. Right here it says, finally, or in, as for other matters, basting on the previous text, particularly on him responding to them or revealing to them the thanksgiving that they should have and the thanksgiving he has for them. A defense of the actions that have taken place. But ultimately, here he's saying, here are the actions. Here's the response to holiness, to purity. It says, we instruct you on how to live. See, this isn't just a to-do. This isn't just what to do in life. This is how to live. This is a, a lifestyle. A lifestyle is from the inside out. It's not an obligatory set of things that we do. A lifestyle is literally a response to what we believe. He goes on to say, do this more and more, which this is a call to recognize the fact that it's not just about one initial point in our life where we ask Christ to be our savior. We go through this conversion moment and then we sit on the bench and wait for him to return. No, what Paul is saying as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit is this is a call to sanctification, a call to holiness, a call to experiencing and living a life of purity. 
this all points to the steady process, this process, this journey together. No exception to have it all together. And I can say that right now. If you've got it all together in here, you, you're, you're up. You get to preach next week, okay? Because I don't have it all together. And I'm sure that most people that we talk to would claim that they don't as well. But it is a journey. And the great thing about the journey is we walk with God in the journey with his power, with his way. And at the same time, we walk towards him. And so the first point, if you're a note taker, is this. God calls us to both salvation and sanctification. He calls us to that initial moment, sancti- or salvation, where the conversion, where we, we, we begin to follow him, where we say yes to him. And then he calls us to sanctification, this process of growing in one's faith, growing in relationship with God. You see, this isn't an either or situation. Instead, this is a both and. You can't have one without the other. The intention is that you would start the race and that you would run the race. Not that you would start the race and sit it out or that somehow you just jump into the middle of the race with no starting point and begin to run. You know, I think about the the things that go together in life. One that comes to mind is peanut butter and jelly. Often, I will have the two of them together. In fact, the, the project that we're doing, shameless commercial, the project that we're doing is one where we bring both together because we recognize the need for each and the fact that they go together. In life, in many things in life, there are things where you just have to decide one or the other. In this one, exclusively, God's call is that you would know him and that you would grow in him. The call of God is not to simply pray a prayer of salvation and then wait for his return. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and 6, Paul highlights there in this letter the the reality of peace, of hope, and life through Christ. And particularly, it's encapsulated in in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and it reads like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love this passage. I don't know if you, you, you catch some of the imagery there, but Christ died for us. He was the sacrifice for us. And he invites us to, to take that same posture spiritually where we die to self and then we are raised a new creation, not because of what we can do, but because what he has done. And that last part there, that last little bit says, we too may live a new life. Not we too may sit it out and wait until it's over. No, we live a new life. We live with, as a little slice of heaven even today here on earth. You know, we look at the family specifically. I, I'm, I'm so encouraged uh, when I get to officiate or, or to facilitate a wedding. I did one already this summer. I have another one coming up. And one of the things I always mention is the importance not just of putting the impact on the day of the wedding. While it is important to have the structure there and to know where to be and when to show up for pictures and when to smile and all those things, right? Some of you have been to a wedding. But the other part where you put much of the practice Much of the training, much of the engagement is the actual marriage itself that follows. Both are important. Both require action. Both require training. Both require that we're in the fight. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt stale as a believer in Jesus? Have you ever felt like you're just sitting still, like you're thinking something is missing? 
I contest if we look at this passage, it might, it might reveal something important. Perhaps it's because God has something for you, but you are content. You are content to lean against the promise of your salvation, of your conversion, right? Maybe think about this for a moment. God's called you to give something up, or he's called you to step forward in a specific way, or he's called you out to closer to himself, and you've thought, you know what? I'm good where I'm at. I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, so I'll just kind of wait this thing out. I don't really want to live in a place where conviction has any impact on me. I don't want to do anything beyond my own comfort zone, so I'm just going to sit back. God, thank you for inviting me in, but I'll just kind of hang out. Again, God calls us to salvation and sanctification. And the amazing thing about this in the context of growth in purity, salvation in purity, is this, that God created the whole world. Everything that we see that God created was intended to grow. Or it's intended to be part of the growth movement for something else. You and I, we are not the exception. We are part of that. God calls us to grow. He desires for us to grow spiritually in him. And he is both the, the, the nourishment, the thing that satisfies, and the one who goes before us. As the passage continues in verse 3, it reads like this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I love how this starts in verse 3 because this is an eye-opener. It says right to begin with, it is God's will. Anytime the scripture says this is God's will, that is noteworthy. That's something to take a, a very close look at. And importantly here, what he's saying is his will should be that you be sanctified. You should be sanctified. God's will is that you would grow. His desire is that you would grow, not because he wants to, to keep you captive, but it's said because he wants to release you, to free you from the bondage of this world and the sins of this world. Paul shares a list of sins here, some specific things for them, some that might be applicable for us today. But in other words, what he's doing is he's talking about the world's outcomes that come from the values and the beliefs of the individuals. And our society has the same thing. There are things within our society that reveal the values or the lack of values that we have as people. And those values have a return uh, basically revealed through our outcomes, through our actions. The reality is this. Paul's not just saying this is about behavior modification. It's not just about the things that you do. Instead, God is calling for action of righteousness, an outward sign of an inward work. To live set apart, God's calling for sanctification, call for holiness, not a mere call to do better, but a call to himself. He's not just saying, hey, you're my soldier. Go out there and work really hard and, and come back and let me know how it goes. No, he's, he's calling you to himself to be in close proximity and relationship with the God of all creation. In fact, the point is this. God's call for purity is a call to relationship with him. And as he calls you to put other things aside or to turn from a, a other action or to, to direct your heart towards him, what he's saying is I will fill the void that is created through the lack of the things that you let go of. 
In fact, verse 8 reads like this. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you, he grants you his Holy Spirit. He, he fills in the cracks. He brings forth fulfillment in your life through the person of, of the Holy Spirit. God's call to live pure is to live a life where we recognize and know him in a greater way while he walks beside us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Not only is it a call to relationship to God, but it's also a call in relationship to each other, to our family at home, to the family of God. You see, I, I recognize probably just like you do that Paul doesn't stop here, but he capitalizes on lateral relationships, oftentimes within the context of his letters. In verse 9, it reads like this, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. I'm going to pause there at the end of that verse in the middle of this sentence and just say a few words about this. First of all, Paul's focus here on brotherly love is love for one another. And the word there, the Greek word Philadelphia, basically what this is referring to without exception in the New Testament is brothers or sisters with the same father. That's literally what it means. And so sometimes within the church, you might look at it and say, well, you're not my real brother or my real sister. Can I tell you the intention of what Paul is expressing here through the wisdom and the direction of the Holy Spirit is that all that have the same father are to love each other as brothers and sisters. Well, guess what? If you are a believer in Jesus, you have a father in heaven who is God. And by virtue of having that father, you then gain everybody else in here, right? Anybody in here have in-laws? Anybody have outlaws? Still related. Still your brothers and sisters, right? And so the way that Paul is expressing this is, look, everybody who is a follower of Jesus is your brother, is your sister. Paul was speaking directly to the church here. And the point is God's call for purity is a call to a godly relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And why is this topic so important? We're going we're gonna to park here for just a moment on this section because Paul recognized that one of the greatest ways that Satan can destroy a church is by dividing and turning God's brothers and sisters, his, or his children, the brothers and sisters of the body, against one another. And this happens through words. This happens through a lack of listening. This happens through what the authors of Crucial Conversations talking about writing our own story. Perhaps you've been there before, right? You, you're, you're frustrated because so-and-so didn't wave to you or didn't say something to you. Or maybe they didn't follow through the way that you thought they should. And you begin to write a story. I can't believe that person would do that or not do that thing. And you write this whole story only to find out, hey, that day they were thinking about the fact that they just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. And so what God is calling us to is to give grace to one another, to love one another, to have open communication with one another, and not allow the, the, the cracks, the divides to be created within the context of the church. Again, verse 9 says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. Taught by God? What does that mean? Well, God demonstrated the greatest act of love we've ever seen, which is to come to this world and to be the sacrifice for all humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Christ died on the cross, he said, this is what love is. It's not just some emotion. It's not something that you see, uh, you know, on Valentine's Day. No, love is full-on self-sacrifice for another. Even those who may turn against you 
or may talk poorly of you or may crucify you. Probably more in a figurative fashion, but specifically recognizing that self-sacrificing love is a gift of God. Let's take this a step further. In verse 11 and 12, it reads like this. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And if you're to pause there and you're perhaps an introvert in the room, you're like, good, I got permission to be a hermit, right? But he continues, he says, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And you look at that, and first of all, we need to recognize, once again, we're reading somebody else's mail, but probably the specifics here point to two things. One, there was an idleness that was taking place, and people were taking advantage of their brothers and sisters. Like, oh, they'll take care of my needs, so I don't have to do anything. But on the other side, there was a recognition that Paul was saying, look, you guys are, you're basically, you're in, you're in each other's business all the time. You're being busybodies. Basically, mind your own business, so to speak. They weren't lifting each other up. They weren't encouraging each other. They were simply gossiping and slandering each other behind each other's backs. And so here we see that purity means to not stir up trouble, but to live in peace with one another. You know, I, I, I look at this specifically and I think about the, the chaos in life, the things that happen in life. And as we move into this, we recognize that God speaks to this specifically. On the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And what does the passage say here? So then your daily life, you will win the respect of outsiders, so they will not be dependent on anybody. Backing up, it says... Um, you should mind your own business and work with your own hands just as we have told you. If, if these things are what set us aside and help us to, be, to look differently, if we're going to be called the children of God, we've got to act like it. Sadly, in, in verse 12, it talks about this, so your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Sadly, sometimes the church doesn't look any different than the world. I don't, I'm, no amen in first service either. I just want you to know that. You're not alone. Not even a laugh either. Okay, this is really. If we're to live a life that honors God, we are in all ways, in all aspects. We're to reveal his truth, to reveal his goodness, to live pure lives. So if you look like the world, what, is, what does that say about the church? You probably heard the phrase before, if you look like a duck, right? Walk like a duck, talk like a duck. Pick up the phone and gossip like a duck, right? Post a bunch of stuff on Facebook like a duck. Quack a little more here, quack a little more there. Fill in the blank, right? Might be a duck, right? I wonder what would happen if next time somebody calls you or nudges you or says, hey, I want to I share that little bit of dirt or I want to hear that little bit of dirt or whatever it might be. I wonder what would happen if you just started quacking at them. Let me know how that goes. Again, God's call for purity is a call to a godly relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. But how do we actually make this happen? You know, I, I probably could go around the room and each of us could share about times where we've tried our hardest and we have failed. I could share about how I have tried and tried and tried and I have failed. And in essence, as I look at this passage, certainly in the context of all of it, you could walk through a lot of these steps and do the right things and still fail. Because it's, like I said earlier, it's not about behavior modification. It's much deeper than that. You know, earlier I got this glass of water out. And as I look at this water, I, I, I take another drink of it. 
It's fresh water. It's good water. It, it, is, it is something that sustained me. And if we were to, to look at it today, I'm going to share just a quick object lesson to talk about purity and the source of purity. Come a little closer to you. Hope that's okay. If this glass and this water is to represent your life, at this point, it's pure. It's without any pollutants. It looks good. There's no sin within it. It's been made righteous through God. But today I brought with me a few uh, household condiments that uh, I want to use to represent uh, some, uh, some sins in our life. And so we'll start with this one. This is just yellow mustard. And uh, I like yellow mustard on a hot dog. I don't really like it in any of my beverages, but I'm going to put some in here. This is to represent, and we already talked about it, this is to represent some of the gossip in our life. That kind of went in neat, but uh, I can tell you right now the flavor of the water is changing. And then I also brought some juice. Anybody want to share? What, what's a sin that, that causes us to be impure? Tough crowd. I'm asking for a friend. What was it? Lying. Okay. All right. Lying. We'll put some of that in there. Now, this one is a little bit, it's harder to see in there, but I can tell you right now, sometimes sins don't always come to the top, but I can tell you right now, the flavor is different. I'll bring out another one. Uh, this is ketchup, I think. So ketchup, this represents what? What do we want to say for this one? Another impurity. Greed. I heard greed. Is that right? So we'll put that one in there. There's greed. Now it's starting to look really nice. Liquid cheeseburger right here. All right. One that no Midwesterner is without. Ranch. Ranch dressing. All right. What's ranch represent? What sin is this? Hurting others physically, okay. And somebody else said pride. We'll put those in there together because I've only got a couple more. So there we go. So far, we're getting a, a nice mix mess right here, and we're able to see some of these things. The last one's hot sauce. What's this hot sauce represent? Okay, sexual immorality. Put some of that in there. And so right now, we've got ourselves uh, quite the mix. We had this, this pure... Uh, bottle, so to, or pure glass, so to speak. Pure water inside, representing a, the purity of a person, only to allow these sins to bring in and cloud it. And, and here we, we recognize sometimes, even when we're angry, that things can get stirred up. And this is uh, what it begins to look like within our lives, right? And what happens sometimes in life is we have this mess within our glass. We have all these sins in there, and we begin to try to find ways, particularly by ourselves, to eliminate the issues that we have in our life, right? So one of the first things you might do is, is you know, maybe myself, if I, if I read my Bible enough, I can get rid of the things in my life that are bad. Or if I, if I, if, if, if I go to church, or maybe if I, if I give to a mission project or to the church, I, I can get rid of them. But what happens is we just kind of scoop some out, and we still have the impurities in there. And so maybe another option, another option is we think, okay, well, if I do the right things and if I, if I say the right prayers and, and I get God to be happy with me, I can kind of sanitize my life and get religious and make it all better. And I just basically take it from something that I would drink to something I would never even try now at this point. We have a little bit of a, a cleansing agent in there, but the, the, the sin, the impurities, they remain. And so at this point, 
this person in and of themselves finds themselves in a hopeless state. They find themselves in a place where they are discouraged, where they live in despair, where they've tried probably not just two, but any number of things to attempt to try to find their way, to work their way, to pay their way back into God's good graces. But in Paul's letter, he gives specific instruction, not just with action, but also with this core, this heart of purity that helps to recognize that it's not about us. Now, we have to be an obedient recipient. We have to be one who gives it up before him. But God says, I've got something more for you, something that you won't even be able to hold yourself. And he says, if you let me pour my spirit, my word, my goodness into you, I will destroy, eliminate, and evaporate all of the impurities in your life. And sometimes some of us, we need a little bit more than just one uh, in, in this specific case. And you can say how bad you are. But what ends up happening is we find ourselves in a place where God's the only one that can make us pure. And I can tell you right now, it's pure. You know, it's interesting as we back up because earlier, just a moment ago, or earlier on in the service, we were talking about how Paul starts by sharing some information and referring back. And just before this, in chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, it reads like this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Did you get that there? Did you see what Paul was saying there? Let me just reiterate just a few things. He says, may our God and Father clear the way. Not may you figure it out on your own. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. May he strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless. And the last point is this. God's call to purity is facilitated not by you, not by me, not by our action, not by what we give. Our, our, in all aspects, our purity is facilitated through Jesus Christ. If you want to live a pure life, and certainly I'm sure there are some in here that don't know Jesus, and you are for the first time thinking about your life with all these impurities in there and recognizing that God, he desires to pour this in so that you can live pure if that's you today, certainly this can be your day to experience him for the first time. But perhaps you're living a life where you've given your heart to Christ. But for whatever reason, there are temptations that Satan continues to throw at you. And from time to time, you might fall into them. And God's saying, I want to live a life honor, that honors, or I want you to live a life that honors me, that, that glorifies the Son, that, that experiences goodness in a way that's far beyond what you can imagine and what you can earn here on earth. And I just want you to give that, to allow me to pour into you, to give that to me. You see, we don't have the power or the ability to do it ourselves. Only he does. Only he is the one that can make us new. And so today we're going to close with a song. And as we sing, I want to encourage you, as the Spirit leads, as the Spirit challenges, to simply respond. Perhaps you've not been here before, but we have these altars up front. And the desire of, of our heart is that this would be a, a moment where you respond in kind, where God calls you to do so. And so if he's calling you to respond by laying something down at his feet, no, there's no better way than to figuratively and literally come forward and to kneel at the altar before God. 
to say, God, here is the impurity in my life. I want you to wash me clean. Pour yourself out into me. Pour your spirit into me so that these things are gone, eradicated, and I can experience you and you alone. I recognize sometimes there's other things that you may have on your heart. Maybe God has, has brought something to your mind even now. Maybe you want to come to pray for strength or pray for another. Maybe you want to pray for healing or discouragement. Maybe you want to pray for reconciliation in a relationship. Pray for God to move in your midst or to request for God's help in some way. Any prayer you might have, you can come forward and you can pray. But I also want to say this. I know, and probably you recognize this, oftentimes we miss out on what God wants to do in this kind of a setting because we're thinking about the ducks that might be quacking later on. See, they saw us go to the front and they think, oh, what happened there? What can we spread or talk about? Can I just say this? Quackers are going to quack. And what, by, what I mean by that is they're going to say stuff no matter what, whether you respond up here or not, they're going to find stuff to say. And so don't allow the discouragement or the thought that somebody might say something about you responding to God's call to be the reason that you don't experience the Spirit's movement in your life. You see, sometimes we stand in each other's way, unintentionally or intentionally, or sometimes it's even just in our head. But I'll tell you right now, that if God is calling, if he's leading you today, he's got something greater for you. And it's far greater than what you would experience simply just sitting back and saying, maybe later, maybe another time, I'm not ready because God is ready and he calls you to join. So I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray for us during this time and then we're gonna read, or excuse me, we're gonna sing this together. And as we sing, I wanna encourage you, if God's calling you today, come forward, spend some time at the altar for whatever the need is that you have before you today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this moment. I thank you for the fact that we can read this passage today and recognize that you are the one who makes all things new. You are the one that cleans us, that cleanses us, that makes us pure in your presence. God, you are the one who loves us, that, that is pure yourself and invites us to join you. And not only do you invite us to join you, but you run the race with us. Your spirit lives within us, brings us to a new day so that we might know you, grow in you, and be free from all else. God, I pray for each person in this room and those that are even joining online. God, that you would move in our midst, that you would bring forth an opportunity for us to experience you in a way that we never have before. God, you are a good God. You are a loving God. You are an interactive God. May we respond to you in the same way that you have granted us life and life eternal. We thank you, God, for the fact that you call us to purity and that you make it possible. In your son's name we pray. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.